The Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go over to digitalocean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL and then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 359. My name is Chris. And my name is Noah. Hey, Noah, good morning. To, or Actually, it's the afternoon because we're recording this on a Friday. Wow. That's an old habit. Yeah, so uh, we made room for Easter Sunday this week on the show. We're recording on Friday, and we have a great show coming up. This week, have you ever thought, you know what? Maybe instead of applying for a job, I'll just create a job. Noah is the man to talk to about creating and supporting businesses around open source. And we have gotten various forms of questions over the last few weeks that are kind of getting at this topic. How do I build a business around open source? How do I build a business around supporting open source? And how does Noah do it? We've gotten a lot of questions ar around this entire range of topics. So in today's episode, we're going to answer that question and hopefully give you a little ammunition to maybe go out and start your own practice or refine something you're already doing. Plus, as always, in the news segment, we'll talk about all of the big happenings this week. You probably saw it, but Microsoft has a big announcement that will uh, be surprising if you didn't hear the news already. There is a distribution that's already landed GNOME 3.16, and it's probably not the distro you're thinking. Audacity. Yes, Audacity has some big new features. So does Blender. We'll give you an update on those. A new way to run almost any Android app on your Linux desktop. And then a little look at Gen 2. 10 years down the road. So great news segment, plus the feedback. But before all of that, Noah, it's our picks. Got to start with the picks. And uh, our runs Linux uh, this week uh, came in from an audience member, uh, Douglas Codes. Is that what it was? Douglas Codes, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he says, I was sent to a work party at a bowling alley last night. Uh, there were some problems with the alley score system, and they had to reboot. So I took some pics of the startup. Yeah, and I, I, he says, I wasn't quite able to get to capture it, but I saw it was running Ubuntu 10.10, the bowling alley display signs running Ubuntu 10.10. And uh, Douglas Codes managed to grab us some great snapshots here. Look at that. They have like a custom boot screen. That's a badass boot screen. Look at that, Noah. That, uh, that is, yeah. Okay, all right, all right. You got to give him props for that. So, uh, right. I've never and seen so it go all the way out like that before. I guess I have seen it on a few, but not a bowling alley. And the thing I thought was kind of unique was he wasn't able to get a video, but he took so many pictures that I'm like, this is basically as good as a video. Yeah. I mean, it's almost as good as a video. Yeah. Yeah, you can see it starting up Plymouth. <laughs> oh, my gosh, look at this. This is so great. I love that the bowling alley runs on Linux. I, You know what? You know what? That's the, yeah, we were, My son's birthday is coming up pretty soon, too, and we're thinking about taking him to the bowling alley. I hope his bowling alley is as cool as that one. That's the one to right. go to, Noah. That's the one to go to. It makes we should do a live show makes from that the, bowling alley. <laughs> it makes the it makes the bowling better if you know that the scoring is being done on Linux because you know that all the code has been audited, that it's fairly scoring your uh, your uh, your pins or in my case, lack thereof. Yeah, or you know, the, actually, the sad thing is, how much do you want to bet that the bowling scoring software and display software is like horrible proprietary garbage? Yeah, in real in is. reality, it's probably yeah. <laughs> it's probably yeah. this this monster yeah. sitting on top of that nice yeah. open source beautiful system. Well, thank you, Douglas Codes, for sending that in. If you'd like to submit a runs Linux to the show, you can submit it to the Linux Action Show subreddit, linuxactionshow.reddit.com, or just email it to the show. You just go to the contact page, choose Linux Action Show from the drop down, and then uh, send it in there. And if you're gonna do a video, uh, please post it to YouTube or whatever service you like. And if you're gonna do uh, pictures, imager would be great. Um, we try to avoid attachments, but. You know, we just like getting them. So we love to see your Runs Linux from the field. All right, Noah, I'll tell you about my Runs Linux. It's also our first sponsor, and that's DigitalOcean. All of my DigitalOcean rigs run Linux. And how many do you have now, Noah? Because 
a lot. They they actually they increased my limit to fifty, so I can have a lot more now. Now, how many of those? They're not all mine. Oh, okay, clients and stuff. Yeah, but how many of those are running? Oh, I don't know, FreeBSD. Uh, let's see here. If I pick care of the one zero. Oh, oh, zero. oh, zero running FreeBSD. How many of those are uh, are running on Linux? No. All of them. Oh, okay, okay. All of them. Yeah, all right, okay. And yeah. you can too. Go over to DigitalOcean.com right now and check out DigitalOcean. What is DigitalOcean? They're a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own cloud server. You're going to get started in less than 55 seconds. I'm serious. It's going to take you no time, so don't worry about something's going to be a big time suck. You can get started right away, which I love that, so I can spin up infrastructure almost on demand. 55 seconds will get you... 512 megabytes of RAM for $5 a month, 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. I'm going to say that again because it's so incredible. $5 a month will get you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, because they're all SSD, right? All SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. A terabyte of transfer means you could use your own GitLab, your own blog web. You have own cloud up there. I have BitTorrent sync up there. I have all. Have you ever had any kind of bandwidth cap issues at all? No. Has that ever been a problem for you? No. 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 It, and coming from somebody and, uh, who has had stuff in colos, like that is a really nice change. We actually have uh, a couple of clients that they're it, it, they have changed from an in-house server to one that's hosted on DigitalOcean. Sure. Yeah. So they are not they were not taught or they were not told um, to to uh, to limit their bandwidth at all or to be cautious about how they're, they're using it as if it was yeah. a, a LAN server. Carefree. We've run into absolutely no issues. Yeah, that's yeah. how I do and it too. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like uh, this that that amount of bandwidth is it's so high that like I, I always end up with unused bandwidth. I could like be seeding torrents or whatever. Uh, and I think the thing that uh, I kind of I, I have to wrap my head around is since I don't have to worry about bandwidth anymore. Now I do different droplets more as like how do I want to how do I want to split these tasks up? I'll make this a, a droplet that's dedicated to this because DigitalOcean has this great control panel that lets you take snapshots and manage all of your droplets. So it really makes it easy to do templates and things like this. So I have found this to be a great way to keep these systems super focused, highly, highly efficient, and really easy to maintain. And their interface to do all of this is, it's, it's the best in the industry. It's super, super straightforward to use it. But the, really, one of the best things is, is they have a really great API. And the community takes advantage of this API like you wouldn't believe. There's tons of stuff you can already use. And they just launched version 2.0 of their new API. It just came out of beta this week, uh, yesterday. So it, it, this is just going to be a whole new generation of incredible digital ocean apps that you can just use today for free. And then on top of all of that, the great control panel, the Linux-powered KVM, the SSD infrastructure, the Tier 1 bandwidth, the API that's awesome, they also have the best tutorials. Seriously, go over to DigitalOcean and check out their tutorials. They're the best. They really are great, and DigitalOcean has editors dedicated to making sure they get better and better. Ready for the kicker? Use our promo code LASTDIGITAL, L-A-S DIGITAL. That's all one word, LASTDIGITAL. You get a $10 credit. That means you can try out that $5 rig two months for free. Two months for free, no credit card. You're going to have root access to a server up in the cloud, crazy fast, HTML5 console, great UI, one-click application deployments, supporting the Linux Action Show, and it's a Linux rig that you get total access to for two months, absolutely free, when you use our promo code of power, Last Digital. That is absolutely mind-blowing. I cannot believe that. If you go back even like five years in the show, this kind of offering, this package of all of this cool technology with this great UI, incredible community, fantastic tutorials that sponsor one of your favorite shows, that. That formula didn't exist before DigitalOcean. They're here. Go use our promo code LASTDIGITAL, digitalocean.com. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. You guys rock. I'm just saying. That's in my opinion. In my opinion.
All right, so I'm a huge fan of YouTube download. YouTube-DL, fan, 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 freaking-tastic command line utility to download not just YouTube videos, but like all kinds of videos. And it's super smart about the way it does it. It's top-notch. However, my boo has been having a bad day. YouTube download appears to be getting blocked more and more by YouTube this week. I've confirmed it with several folks in the chat room. Um, I've had problems with it every single morning for Tech Talk Today this week. I'm a sad. I have a big sad because I love YouTube download. I literally use it every single day. And so, when I was in the pits of distraught, perhaps crying a little bit, the chat room came to me and said, Chris, we have a solution for you. Chris, it's called ClipGrab. It's an open source friendly downloader for YouTube videos and other websites. ClipGrab. You can find it at clipgrab.org. And yeah, it's in the Arch user repository. And the best part is it's got a GUI. Uh, maybe. Maybe that's the best part. Maybe not. I actually kind of like the command line. But anyways, it's got a GUI, and it does a couple of neat tricks. If you have ClipGrab running, when you select a YouTube video or other site that it supports grabbing video from, it automatically detects that in your clipboard and enters it into ClipGrab for you when you click the notification bubble saying it's been detected. Then it goes out and finds all of the versions. So here in this case, this video I'm using has 700, uh, 720p, so I'm going to go, that's the highest, but I could go down to 240p if I wanted. I could also download the MP4 version, WMV, Og Theora, and I think even WebM for some of them. And then I just say grab clip. I tell it where I want to save that video file, so I'm going to put it in my videos folder. And it begins to download it right here, and you can see it'll say the portal is YouTube, which I could have you know, several different video sites here. Down, the title of the clip is Downloading Clip Grab, it's their own video, and then the progress. And then in a second here, it'll kick off and it'll pull the whole thing down. And the other nice thing is you can do persistent settings, so I can say always download to the videos folder, don't ask me to name it, just use the metadata from the website, monitoring clipboard, yes, no, and last but not least, you can also just search instead of going to YouTube. So like here, I really wanted this video of Steve Ballmer sweating like a maniac saying developers, developers, developers. So I can automatically just search and clip grab for that. And, and then once it finds it, add that to clip grab. It goes and analyzes my available options. Once they're available, the button will highlight. I say grab this clip and it, and it automatically adds it to the download queue. Pretty nice. Again, it's called clip grab. And uh, it's nice. I like it so, a lot. I've always used uh, browser extensions to get this kind of thing done, but what appeals to me about you know an actual native application is every time I upgrade my browser, I'm always concerned about which extensions are going to break. And, it, and it, I'd say one of every five times, I'm no longer able to download YouTube videos because my extension broke, and yeah. then I have to wait for them to update it, and that's not a problem here. I'm also not super, um, I'm not a big fan of like the extensions that sit there and analyze my web page to see, if, is there a video on this page I can download? And it means every page I load, it's checking the page to see if a video mm -hmm. is available to download. I'm just like, yeah, I don't want that. This is standalone. Yeah. And the, thing I, the other thing I like about this is I can just queue, 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 queue as I go, add a clip, right. add a clip, add a clip, download, 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 right. and it just runs for me, which I think that's nice too. Mm -hmm. Plus, this has a pretty good range of websites it supports, so that's kind of nice too. And they seem to be upkeeping it up to date. I uh, just recently had an update. There's a PP. A PPA out for uh, for Ubuntu. There, it's in the Arch mm -hmm. user repository, so it's pretty easy for those distributions and others to stay current, and uh, it's free. So there you go. Can't beat it's, that. It's definitely not as fast as YouTube download. I I I hold out hope that YouTube download will have an update soon and it'll resolve the issues I've been having because in my estimation, YouTube download is the best one. But the clip grab is pretty good. We've also in the past mm -hmm. mentioned Live Streamer. 
I demoed it a couple of weeks ago. Livestreamer not only will grab YouTube videos and then pipe them into VLC for you, Livestreamer right. can also grab live streams from Ustream and Twitch and other live streaming service mm -hmm. and pump them into VLC and totally bypass mm -hmm. Flash. So that's Livestreamer. It's a little bit different of a beast, but also pretty cool. And uh, we've, we've taken a look at it before. Noah, you know Linux Fest Northwest is coming up. You know that. The audience knows that. I've set up an official meetup page, not just for Linux Fest Northwest, but that's the first event. When, when the Jupiter Broadcasting crew hits the road and we have an event in your area, we'll organize it here at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. And also, I'll use this to, to sense how many reoccurring regulars we have in the Seattle area. And if there does appear to be some interest in the Seattle area... I am considering doing something like monthly meetups when the weather's nice or something like that. You know, hang out, eat, maybe even record a few mm -hmm. things. Just hang out with the audience and uh, have an excuse to drink beers and, and uh, whatnots. Uh, but I don't have any sense if there's very much interest in the Pacific Northwest area or it may be folks who might occasionally travel to the Pacific Northwest area and would be interested in what we're doing. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Go sign up if you are. I'm paying like $15 a month for this meetup page. So if you don't oh, wow. sign up, yeah, if people don't use it, I'm not going to keep it. Uh, but if it seems to gain some traction, I'm more than happy to keep it because I'd love to meet with people in person. Plus, when we go to other fests or we just you know do sh shows on the road, uh, right. there's probably no better way to organize meetups in those general locations other than meetup.com. So it's meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. I would really appreciate it if you're even tangentially interested in attending a future Jupiter Broadcasting meetup. Go there. Right now we've got 34 people signed up. So there are two things that hit me right off the bat. So first off, what does this offer that Google Plus uh, doesn't with their way to organize events and such? I think it's probably better on Plus in, in the terms of because it's free. But the reality is, is that, uh, like, you know, so for last year, for Linux Fest mm -hmm. Northwest, we had people RSVP on Google Plus, right? And I think we had, mm -hmm. like, 40 or 60, 70, you know, maybe let's just say, like, 100 people mm -hmm. RSVP'd on Google Plus, right? Mm -hmm. And then, like, 700 people showed up. Yeah. So I think the right. reality is just not a lot of people use Google+. Plus. Our group is like the, probably the right. highest density of Google+, Plus users, but even then, it, it has its limitations. So whereas so, Meetup is sort of independent, I'm not even sure mm -hmm. if in another, year, in another year will Google+, Plus even be here. Like, could they maybe shut that down? Whereas Meetup.com, this is all they do, and I'd like to keep this. This, this isn't just about Linux Fest. I want to do this, you know, forever right. and ever. So my, my thought is, though, it, and this is the first thing that went through my mind, honestly, when I, saw the, when I saw the update was, oh, man, another thing I have to sign up for, another thing I have to create an account for. I have, like, 50 accounts for, like, 50 different Yeah, things. I know. And I noticed that this requires an account. So you can log in just, with your I, Facebook uh, bogus uh, uh, oh, track you? profile, but yeah. Okay. Bogus track you profile. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Yeah, Great. I don't know. Nice maybe staff. people won't like nice it. I mean, staff. I'm not. I, I maybe Meetup's jank. The only reason I kind of went with Meetup over the other ones too is there's already like a ton of open source Meetups happening in the Seattle area. So maybe we can get mm -hmm. some of those guys. There's tons of stuff. So, all right, well, desktop app pick. Uh, we've talked about this maybe before on the Coda Radio program. Don't think it's ever been featured on the Linux Action Show, and it's made by an audience member, right, Noah? I think you mean the Spotlight. Oh yeah, I just did the pick, didn't I? Well. All right. Yeah. The open source project, you know, it's these only you and I care about these technicalities. The open source project <laughs> spotlight of the week from a community member, right, Noah? Yes. 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 <laughs> he actually is in the, he's actually in the IRC and in the mumble. I looked down to see at the chat. I shouldn't have the chat open. I've said I'm not going to have the chat open. I have the chat open. Uh, yeah, it's, it's from a community member and it's a really cool project. And in fact, I was previously using like three different tools. I was using uh, Wonderlist and I was using Evernote mm -hmm. and then some little plugin in OwnCloud. And I realized that his project encompasses all three, but he does a much better Ooh. job explaining it in the YouTube video than I ever could. Let's let him explain it. 
Does your desk also end up covered in post-it notes occasionally because your task management is somewhat chaotic? Experimenting with different productivity techniques, I ended up with two things. A simple to-do list and a timer that keeps me focused on the recent task by reminding me to take regular but limited breaks. As a logical consequence, I try to find a way to combine both in a single application. And this is where GoForIt comes into play. The interface of GoForIt is split up into three parts. The to-do list, the productivity timer and an overview of completed tasks. To add a new item to the to-do list, simply enter its description into the corresponding field. Select the task and switch to the timer view to activate it. The duration defaults to 25 minutes, but feel free to enter whatever you like. Once the timer is running, it's your turn to start working. As soon as you finish your current task, mark it done, which will automatically select the next task in the list. Moreover, the timer is stopped to allow for choosing an alternative. Press start again to continue with the next task. When time's up, go for it reminds you to take a little break. Do something that relaxes you. Ideally, you should even leave your computer for a while, but that's of course completely up to you. After the break, start all over with the current task. This is everything you have to know about the go for it workflow. Well, you should also check out your done list from time to time, because it's really motivating to see all the things you achieved lately. I hope you enjoyed this little presentation and I hope you'll even more enjoy the program itself. go for it is released as free and open source software. That being said, it's been a lot of work till here and it will probably be a lot more work to maintain in the future. So I rely on your support, which can be code contributions, bug reports, feedback and last but not least, financial donations that give me a chance to keep working on go for it with a certain priority. Thank you. I like uh, the idea of uh, a task-based timer workflow because it kind of gives you like these little uh, carrots along the way, and I can say, "Boy, if I'm really burning out on this, but I only have five minutes left on the timer, I'll keep, I'll keep, I'll keep on this for five minutes." I think that's a neat right. system. So uh, it's called you can, Go if for you're, it. If you're not ADD enough that you can remember to use the timer, that that is where I would fall down. <laughs> is I, I, would, I would forget to use the timer. That's I would, true. It would just go right over me. That's true. That's true. Uh, just you know what? <laughs> Quick note: Linux Action Show Linux Fest Northwest shirt relaunched. Enough people reordered. Uh, nine, it's got another nine days left. If you didn't get one, Teespring.com/Linux. The uh, the money raised here will still help our Linux Fest Northwest coverage, and that would be very appreciated because uh, Linux Fest Northwest is a very expensive endeavor for us. So get yourself a nice looking Linux Action Show T-shirt, hoodie long sleeve trust me on the long sleeve they're really nice teespring.com slash linux no i uh, was there anything else we wanted to cover towards the top of the show today i, I was trying to oh i uh, yeah i mentioned the meetup yeah i think that was everything we wanted to cover in the top you can find links to go for it and clip grab in the show notes as well as the images for the uh, bowling alley but noah with the pics all done let's do the news <laughs>
Hey, it's the news, and this episode is brought to you by... Ting.com. Go to last.ting.com. Ting is mobile that makes sense. Ting is my mobile service provider and Noah's mobile service provider for quite a while now. And you can go to last.ting.com not only to support your favorite Linux Action Show program, but also to save $25 off your first device, or if you have a Ting-compatible device, $25 off your first month. Or, actually, for me, it ended up being about two months, because Ting is incredible. It's only a flat $6 for the line, and then it's just your usage on top of that. So if you're even, like, 10% savvy on your usage, like for me, I just make a of calls over Wi-Fi. I do all my podcast downloading over Wi-Fi. I pre-sync my Spotify tracks, and that's all. I, that's literally all I have to do to basically pay almost nothing for my mobile service. It's not that hard. In fact, Ting makes it even easier. Like they have a blog post right now about making calls over Hangouts, so you can make it over Wi-Fi. That's another great way to save money. You go to last.ting.com to get started. Ting has no contracts, no early termination fees, and now they have support for CDMA and GSM networks, so you can bring a ton of devices and get a bunch of coverage. My Nexus Five, I can. Actually, right now my Nexus 5 is on GSM, but I could actually pop the SIM out, go over back to my CDMA SIM, set the phone back up, and boom, I'm now i got a CDMA phone. I like that because if I want to travel somewhere where I know that CDMA coverage is stronger, I'll go to CDMA. But for the most part, I'm sticking with the GSM, and I'm super, super happy with the results. And I can manage all of it with my Ting dashboard, so the three lines are super easy to keep track of which phones cost me a lot of money, which for me turns out to be like a lot of money is maybe I'm paying $20 for that phone line because Linux Fest has made me make a lot of phone calls that is not bad at all so anyways go to last.ting.com try out their savings calculator and get started and then once you get a great android device you're going to need some great apps well ting's got you covered there too kyra's here with her app pick of the week take it away kyra your plans because you suck at making decisions i do i'm kyra and this is the ting app of the week you know when you're out with friends and you all want something different to eat which resulted in an hour of discussions with no resolution mm -hmm. in sight. We've all been there. Yeah. Today's pick helps you out in those indecisive moments. Booth the Dispute is a quick and easy way to come to a conclusion with no hostility involved. <laughs> Tap the screen to have a say. Awesome. As long as you can fit your finger, you'll be part of the random selection. <laughs> Wait a few seconds, and the winner will be chosen. That's it's like a coin flip that's not limited to just two people. Can't decide on which movie to see? Let Booth the Dispute decide. Want to figure out who's buying the first round? Boot the Dispute can help there too. Okay, I like that. That's neat. This app is free on Google Play and in the App Store. Check out the description for both links. We post new videos a couple times a week, so click the subscribe button to get the latest as they hit our channel. Thanks for watching. YouTube.com slash Ting, I believe. Let me double check. YouTube.com slash Ting, yep. And they're TingFTW on uh, Twitter and TingFTW on G+. Also, they're on Reddit, rting. Go check them out there. Boot the dispute. That's that's gold. Her Canadian accent makes it so much better, right? <laughs> boot the dispute. Where are you going? Oh, you know, just oot in a boot. You had to go yeah. there. You had to go there. But you know, yeah, yeah. you know, come yeah. Linux Fest, the whole crew's going to be in town, and we're going to have that classic discussion, where do you want to go to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to go to eat? Yeah. Now, yeah. we'll just use boot the dispute. But I feel like with those discussions, at least last year, and actually, really, if you think about it, every time we've ever got anywhere, it's not, I want to go here and I want to go there. It's, where do you want to go? I don't care. You pick. Oh, where do you want to go? Yeah. I don't know. You pick. Yeah, I don't is. know. You pick. And then I always That's end up having really to pick. Problem is. And then I have to pick. Right. Yeah. That's no fun. Yeah. And then we get there and then nobody can decide what they want to eat. Yeah. No, mostly just yeah. you. <laughs> really. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Although she had to come back three different times because you didn't know, Q5 didn't know, and I didn't know. I well, just happened to be the last one on the list. You were busy masturbating the straw. It kept us distracted. That's right. I was. <laughs> I was. Did you see this that news happened. coming out of Microsoft? Did you ever think you'd see the day where Microsoft would announce they're going to support open doc format following a government battle in the UK? That's right. Microsoft has confirmed it will be supporting the, document, the open document format in the next update to Office 365. Your thoughts, Noah? Well, so first of all, I would it's it is it is strange to me that it requires the government to compel Microsoft to support the ODF standard when Microsoft is so committed to open source values and 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 promoting the community. That seems strange to me, but the the reality is is the ship has sailed. I don't it doesn't matter anymore. It was impo- this would have been huge and important yeah. and I would have cared yeah. 6 years ago when I was trying to convince people to use Microsoft Office and there was no better alternative, but I got news for you Microsoft. LibreOffice is they're there. They're doing a good job. It's getting it is getting confused for pr- proprietary uh, high value software now because it, they have gotten so robust. And even if I didn't want that, I have things like you know Google Docs is a great way to go if you want uh, enterprise grade you know document editing and you want that to be exist inside of a web browser. There are so many other alternatives to Microsoft Office at this point. I don't know if it matters anymore. You, you'll you have some people, sure, that are already on the 365 uh, platform and they want to be able to open and receive documents from the rest of normal people. But I, I just I don't All see right. it being How about the... This? I, How about this? You brace yourself. Because if Microsoft truly delivers on ODF compatibility in the next update to Office mm-hmm. 365, I'm not an Office 365 user. I don't know anything about it. But my understanding is you can use it in a web browser, right? You can. Office 365 in a web browser supporting ODF would mean that Microsoft is supporting ODF in their web editor before Google. Because with Google, you upload to Google Drive, and then Google Drive converts it to another document, their own proprietary internal document format. Mm -hmm. Then you edit it, and then if you want to export it back out, hey, you can export it back out, but a few things might be wrong. And so if this is true, Microsoft will be beating Google to the punch on native ODF document editing. Looking yeah. at you, Google. Well, it, the the one thing that is going to be super nice, because the one the one huge pain in my butt that I have left is I have a lot of college students that come to us and they say, what can we use for a, for a, a solution to get my homework done? And, of course, we recommend things like LibreOffice. The problem is professor is sending out PowerPoints in the, the PowerPoint format or the, the you know, the, the, uh, the Word format. And I'd say eight out of every ten times it works out fine, but two out of every t- ten times, like, things are totally screwed up. And... If Microsoft is to adopt ODF, obviously right off the bat, they're not going to make it the default. I can almost assure you that. <laughs> but, but a couple years down the road, you know, maybe as they get into a little bit and they say, listen, you know, honestly, we'd save ourselves a ton. Everyone's using ODF anyway. Everyone's going in there and changing it to ODF because that's what the rest of the world works on. And really, it's a lot of work and co- time and money for us to keep going with this XML standard that we've developed. So maybe we'd just be better off yeah. just, just like into uh, this thing. Just like they're going to base I, the IE off, uh, or I'm sorry, Pro- Project Spartan off of WebKit. Yeah, it's totally going to happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, Noah, it's not a race, but it's totally a race. Uh, OpenSUSE Tumbleweed is officially the first distribution that you could probably practically install uh, and, and get GNOME 3.16. There are other ways to get it, uh, including methods for Fedora and Arch uh, of OVS and Ubuntu OVS. But uh, Tumbleweed is officially the first distro in town uh, shipping GNOME 3.16. And I thought this was interesting, and I didn't realize this was a thing. But apparently, also in Tumbleweed now, 
they'll be changing from using traditional syslog to systemd journal, uh, which is, you, as you probably know, that binary log file mm -hmm. that you need journal CTL and other special tools to look at. Uh, I thought this was particularly interesting that they're just now getting to this considering, well, for example, I think Fedora implemented this in Fedora 18. So this is a systemd feature. SUSE was pretty early on the systemd boat, but they were kind of like, they switched over and this was like a straggler piece of the old way. Um, so I, when I saw this feature, they're just now switching over to, to, to journal D. I was like, wow, I, I can't believe they haven't been on it yet. But this is, I mean, OpenSUSE Tumbleweed, I think, was a great direction for that distribution to go because this, you know, mm -hmm. this is exactly the kind of stuff that makes me want to keep a rig running uh, run OpenSUSE. It's exactly this kind of stuff. I love yeah. that. I actually, I tried not that long ago, I think about eight months ago, nine months ago, we, I had a business come to me and they said, we want to dump 14 of our workstations and we want to switch them from Windows to Linux. What should we use? And the requirements were they wanted something that would be, uh, I think it was they wanted, uh, they wanted to be able to, they wanted to be able to open RPMs and they wanted it to be enterprise grade. I'm like, well, that really only leaves me one choice. I mean, you could I do Red Hat really Enterprise. I, you could, but it was they were they were they were uh, desktops. They weren't. Yeah, uh, yeah. They weren't servers. And so I've run into so many weird problems, like even getting simple things like Flash and VLC installed. They're just like nightmares. So uh, we tried OpenSUSE, but OpenSUSE I ran into a totally different pro problem, which was that when you'd plug the USB drive in, it would it would it wouldn't automatically mount it. It would if you clicked on it, it would mount, but it wouldn't automatically mount it. And the way that their environment was set up, that wasn't going to work, and so we ended up scrapping it. But. Uh, uh, we went with Ubuntu, but um, yeah, I, I think OpenSUSE is a is a is a really excellent distribution. It makes me happy to see that mm -hmm. you know this is happening there. Yeah, every time I end up trying it, I, I end up not being able to stick with it. But it, uh, I know for mm -hmm. I know it works well for some folks. Uh, for me, that's KDE. That's because of KDE. But oh, really? I, I think they have a pretty good GNOME setup too. You know me, I love like my old try my my like. I, I, I guess maybe like for some people like they start they get into something and like uh, for some people it's like old computers and they feel really nostalgic about it or like it's for some people it's like typewriters for me it's audio editing like I have nostalgia for audio mm -hmm. all the time before I was stupid to get into video oh, audio <laughs> editing so I love a good story about audacity uh, so audacity has a new version after a long long time we now have real-time previews for effects in audacity Hey, oh, that is awesome. They required major restructuring of the application to make that even possible. Much improved noise reduction and noise removal tools now built into Audacity. Uh, some great improvement for VSD plugins. All effects can now be used in chains and can be sorted on name, publisher, or class. That is so awesome. Uh, redesigned meter toolbars to make it look better, take up less space. And a new spectral selection in the spectrogram view to help you find some of that noise. A super, super solid release to one of open source's most tried and true and most famous audio editors. And, uh, yeah, it still looks a little funky. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't care anymore. I really just don't care anymore. It's such a great app, and it's, it's like a staple of the open source ecosystem. And so it's great to see it still get some attention. And not just the real-time preview stuff is major important when you're doing mm -hmm. audio editing and trying to figure out if the things you're doing are really making a difference. And, and, and in the past, what Audacity would do is it would render little portions, render, 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 and you could get these little tiny, right. but never enough to make tweaks and listen back. And then you'd have to make a tweak and then re-render and listen, and it was tedious. Do the, do you see Audacity, the project, uh, refocusing more from just a, uh, an audio, a very advanced, mind you, audio recorder, and trying to move into that DAW spectrum mm -mm. kind of? Uh, mm -mm. Do you? No, no, because the the amount of infrastructure support you'd have to have to interact with the with the with the equipment 
You know, yeah. that's just totally not even there. Like that's so much of like our doer is that that infrastructure yeah. to route sounds in and out and in interfaces and mm -hmm. stuff like that. I, I don't think so. I sure would love a nice simple multi-track editor, <clears throat> something in between mm -hmm. our doer and Audacity. I, that's still a sweet spot that I look for. Hey, sure. uh, I, I'm, I'm covering this story because I totes called it. Totes, totes called this one. Uh, how to install and run Android apps on Linux OS. It's a thing now. Um, this has started, you saw it uh, earlier, where you could run a, just a very few select Android apps on Chromebooks, like Evernote and stuff. You guys remember, we, this came out like a Google I.O. a while ago. Well, now, using a tool that Google calls ArcWelder, it's a Chrome app, so you got to have Chrome or Chromium, Linux users can run Android apps right in the browser. Now, it's not perfect. And it doesn't have Google Play, full Google Play support services yet, but if there's an Android app you just gotta have, this is pretty cool. So you gotta get it. You gotta get the APK of the app. There's a lot of downloaders to do that, so that's not too tough. <coughs> but I have, for example, <clears throat> running right here, Arc Welder. This is a this is a Chromium app that I have running standalone. I feed it the APK. I can only run it one at a time. But I tell if the orientation is landscape or portrait, if I want to emulate a tablet or a phone, and if I want to give it clipboard access to the host machine. And then once I tell it all that stuff, I launch the APK. And here is uh, Beyond Pod, uh, uh, which is a uh, uh, this is oh, is this I grabbed uh, oh, this is Podcast Addict. Sorry, which is another great uh, uh, podcast app for Android. And so I just thought, hey, what if I wanted a really nice podcast? app on my desktop, I could use this Android app now, and I can go in here and I can look at all the previous episodes of Linux Unplugged. I can play an episode of Linux Unplugged. Uh, now, because I don't have the play services, I'm a little bit limited, but as you can see, one of the nice things here is it actually integrates so, in with, you, you made with desktop notifications. 11 gig. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, 24. <laughs> Oh, you left Jules running as well, did you? So there you see, you can. So I'm playing episode 86 of Linux Unplugged right there in uh, in uh, Podcast Addict. And of course, I've downloaded other uh, APKs. I'll, I'll walk you through that process too because it's kind of neat. So you go back, you say add your APK, and I can only do one at a time. And I did try to do Microsoft Office, and it just crashed. Uh, but uh, Snapchat launched. But remember, if you need a, if you need play services, you do run into a limitation. Uh, but there, I, used, I even did some games. So here I can add uh, Skyforce, and I'll say play it on a tablet. We'll do portrait, and we'll say launch app. And now I have to remove the previous app, which was Podcast Addict, because I can only do one app at a time. And it'll take a minute. It'll set up the uh, the Arc environment, and then it launches the application. Some apps work better than other apps. It's been really hit and miss. So you just kind of have to trial, troubleshoot. But it's kind of neat to be able to play it. If, if there was something you really needed from Android, like Evernote or, or some app that is just extreme, like maybe WhatsApp. Maybe you just desperately want a desktop version of WhatsApp. This Arc Welder uh, will get you there. All you need is Chrome, and then you go to the Chrome store. I'll have it linked in the show notes, and then you install Arc Welder. And you're set up. It's pretty neat. I know. Not so. You really find it to be all that fascinating, though? Is it really up your alley very much? Uh, it's one of those things that when it, it's it's it falls into that bucket of uh, I don't know if you know what a split ring players is. No, it is the it is a very specific tool for a very specific purpose, and it really can't be used for anything else. But when you have a split ring that you have to get off, the only tool to get it off right. is a split ring player. Well, there you, you go. Can't use anything else, and this was kind of the same thing. The other day, I was I was telling you I wanted to use uh, Snapchat, and Snapchat has a limit on how much Snap cash you can send per week to a friend. So if you want to send more than that amount, what you have to do. <clears throat> is uh, sign up for multiple accounts. Well, that's irritating because I only have one Android device and I have to undo all the way I have it set up and then I have to redo it again. If I had an emulator and I could just emulate five different Android sessions, mm -hmm. then I could, 
you know, I can, I, you know, so mm -hmm. when you need tools for doing stuff like that, when, when I need to spin up uh, Android for just a second to run one specific application or to try something or test things, how many f applications do you have, Chris, in your phone that you never used because you were trying to find the right one? Yeah, so you yeah, installed yeah. one, you realized oh, that yeah. didn't work, and you installed oh, yeah. one, and that didn't work, and then all of yeah. a sudden you realize you got like 40 applications yeah, junk really that you that. didn't really need. Mm hmm. Something like this is a great way. Uh, it, it, it essentially, I see it as like the virtual box of Android. Yeah, and it's a great way to get just another set of apps available. They won't look great, you know, because they're designed for Android. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, if you don't mind about that, if you don't care, mm -hmm. then uh, no bigs, mm -hmm. no bigs. All right, Noah. So uh, one last story today, and uh, <clears throat> of course, this week was April Fools, and I think I successfully avoided getting fooled this year. I think. Uh, but the one that I, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite old April Fools was the Gen 2 project this uh, week. They did a redesign of their website, and it was so, so awesome. I hope I can still pull it up. Uh, no, they've already pulled it down. Uh, so they had this really great website that was super, super funny for April Fools. Turns out, though, to celebrate their 10th anniversary, They've actually redesigned their, they're for real, they've redesigned their homepage. Like, we've rolled out another new homepage this week. So this is the second new homepage for the Gen 2 project this week. And it makes sense now, right? They must have been redesigning the site. And while they were doing that, they're like, you know, we could take some of these assets, throw them through this. And uh, anyways, congratulations to the Gen 2 project for hitting 10 years and for the total website makeover. Uh, a, a very, very fun way to introduce the new website. Didn't see that coming. And uh, you guys are rock. We do appreciate the new, uh, new, uh, new look. It looks great. So uh, congrats to Gentoo for, uh, wow, how can they be around for 10 years? How's that possible? That's, I'm not that was, old. I'm not that old. That's not possible. What was the best April Fool's thing you saw on the internet? Uh, besides the Gentoo one? Did you see yeah, Google's smart, see the, what? The smart mailbox? Uh, did you see smart mailbox? I didn't see the smart mailbox. I saw dial-up mode. Dial-up mode? And I... Yeah, I don't no, know about you, this. Yeah, you totally. Yeah, you you have to look up the YouTube video at some point that they they said that they realized that people really wanted to value their time and that high speed internet was taking away from family time. Sure. And so they created dial up mode, which will slow the internet down. So if, for <laughs> example, you're in a meeting and you want to get out of that meeting, hit the dial up mode button, and all of a sudden, boom, your face is all blurry. Nobody can understand <laughs> what you're saying, and they just reschedule the meeting. Yeah, um, I guess. And then, ThinkGeek had the uh, Steam machine that was a, it is a gaming machine that runs Valve Steam OS, but to, uh, to stay true to the nature of building something from scratch, it runs on Steam. So you put water into it and it heats it up and that's what powers the Hilarious. Steam All right. I, I'll play, yeah, I'll just great. play, just, I'm going to play a little bit of the Google April Fool's video because it's my favorite. It's very subtle. And it's like this, it, and what's best is like, it's coming for the people that own Nest and Dropcam. Like you guys are the right. most, the biggest offenders of this, of this uh, hype bubble that we're in right now, but yet they're still able to take, make total fun of themselves. This is, this is pretty right. good. Gmail Blue was Part oh, that's Gmail Blue. Never mind. Sorry. All right. Sorry, I had the wrong video. That's a girl. Have you seen the Gmail Blue one? I have not. All right. I'll play a little bit of it because it's, it's really great. Initial conception for Gmail when it was launched. At the time, the technology was simply not there. The culture of Google really is to incorporate moonshot thinking to every project. It's taken us six years to develop the technology to achieve Gmail Blue. Our major challenge was how do we make this intimate, intuitive, realistic and organic. In trying to bring email into the 21st century, uh, we are faced with a challenge. How do we completely redesign and recreate something while keeping it exactly the same? The answer is Gmail Blue. You click on Compose, the button Compose, blue. The word Compose itself, blue. Bold face is blue, underline is blue. 
Italics is blue as well. <laughs> you write in the body of the email, the font comes up blue. You don't have to make it blue, it is blue. It just is blue. The little lines, starts they're in blue. When you go into help, it's blue. It's Gmail, only bluer. <laughs> the Blue Man Group. We experimented with a lot of different colors. We tried orange, brown. Brown was a disaster. We tried uh, yellow. The inspiration of blue came from nature. Ocean, sky, uh, blue whales. A blue that was reminiscent of nature, but better than what nature created. Gmail Blue is, uh, it just opens a lot of doors. How, okay, now tell me that's not super hilarious, right? Gmail that Blue, is, dude. That is pretty funny. Yeah. Although I'm going to... I, I will see your Gmail blue and raise you dial-up mode. I thought dial-up mode is actually funnier. The, two years yeah, ago, I yeah. think it was. Three That's years legit. ago, they had uh, they had uh, Morse code, <laughs> so you could you could uh, you could send text messages with Morse code. Yeah, 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 yeah. Google Tap. <laughs> you know, I, I, I Google is Google's the champion at this kind of stuff. Uh, so if you didn't get a chance, go look at the Google Mailbox. It's on the Google YouTube channel. Oh, that's why I don't have it because YouTube download was broken, and so I didn't download no. it. That's why I didn't have the video. I <laughs> uh, see. That's why I needed to replace the YouTube downloader. That's uh, right. But Google totally nailed it this week. So, all right, Noah. Well, uh, I think. Uh, oh, actually, speaking of videos, we did have a kind of a shout out for the Blender project. So the Blender project is getting uh, two two. Com- you guys probably heard about it because. If you've been watching the show, I think like almost a year ago, we talked about this Blender video that they're working on. Um, mm-hmm. And so let's, for, before we jump to that, why don't we just take a minute and uh, just celebrate the fact that Blender 2.74 hit the web this week. And we'll link to a Noobs Lab article that includes uh, PPAs to get you up and going. Uh, lots of new features, including a much improved Python API. hey A game engine. What? Motion tracking has been improved as well. Uh, massive improvements to hair dynamics and editing tools. New creativity or cavity mask. Ooh, yikes. <laughs> uh, also a grease pencil. hey and uh, they, they, they underscore, again, uh, more improvements to the game engine. Uh, so anyways, uh, so Blender 2.74. Now, there is also uh, this open source film they're working on. They're using Blender, and it just got a little more attention over at opensource.com by Alasia Brenner, who uh, wrote up an article on it. Anything about this grab your attention, though? The fact that it's open source? Uh, and that it's it still in progress? matter what... Right. I, I believe so. I believe, uh, I believe that the, the project, or the, um, the movie is still on par yeah they're having uh, weekly hangouts were, to kind of update fans on the status the reality is all i had to hear was that they were making a hollywood grade movie built solely on open source software and that alone is enough to take my entire family on the night that it comes out oh, or yeah. wherever it's released oh yeah and go watch it. i didn't even need to hear anything more but it actually looks like a good movie you know it what actually looks like it would be entertaining my kids because it's open source we could have like an open viewing party on the stream like we could just mm-hmm. watch it and stream it and like not get sued. Is the sued. copyright going to be? Well, if it's Creative Commons, I suppose. I mean, it looks like in that screenshot, it's Creative Commons. Okay. We just have to well, make sure. Just we just have to double check when it releases that it's it's legit. And if it's legit, we could totally do that. Mm-hmm. Just got to make sure. Yeah. And so the uh, opensource.com article has uh, has like the big differences between making a, a Hollywood movie, how they're doing the fundraising for this thing, um, building the films and software side by side. So they've had to make improvements to the software to make it possible to do things they need for the movie. Sounds like a really challenging mm-hmm. project and a fascinating insight into how if you're using open source, you can modify the tool to accomplish the task you need if it can't already do it, which is always right. a great story to read. So go check that out. We'll have it linked in the show notes. All right, Noah, that's all the news for this week. (laughs) 
Back when I started in IT, it was suicide to try to promote Linux and try to build a business off of open source and supporting Linux would have literally meant I couldn't have put food on the table. But over about 10 to 11 years, I definitely noticed a major swing. And today, I wouldn't even get started unless I could specialize in open source. I mean, it's seriously a key aspect for any real successful consultancy. And Linux skill sets are really in demand these days. So the questions come into the show in a lot of different ways. How do you build a business around supporting open source? How do you build a business that uses open source? in its business, just as part of the back-end software. And how does Noah do it? All of these questions have come in in different forms to the show since Noah started co-hosting. And today, we're going to answer that. Noah's going to take us on location to some of his clients where he supports Linux every single day and shows you how it's done. But before we get to that, I want to thank our segment sponsor, System76, who is on fire! System76 builds machines designed, born to run Linux. And let me tell you, they've just cranked out two awesome systems that are unbelievable price points. Number one, the new Lemur, Lemur, I believe is how you say it, the Lemur, starts at $599 for a fully loaded Linux laptop ready to go. Check it out. And you know what? You can tweak it a little bit and make that thing a total rock star. But I would definitely, definitely consider the Meerkat as well. As somebody who has been a big fan of this hardware line, I think this is going to be one of System76 killer desktop units. It's pretty incredible how much power you can get in these tiny little boxes. And uh, one of the things I love is they have a, oh, I don't know if I see that. Yeah, here it is. Look at this graphic where they've got this tiny little machine powering these two ginormous monitors. And uh, I can tell you they're really quiet too. A lot of great systems. Go over to system76.com. Tell them the Linux Action Show sent you. And then just get something built to run Linux. You don't have to fight with all these little weird things. It makes the whole nuke and pave phenomenon way easier because you're not going to have to spend days and days and days getting the hardware working again. It already works out of the box when you reload. That's extremely valuable to me, too, because it makes it faster and faster and faster down the road when I'm usually pretty tight on time. So go to System76.com, give us a mention, grab yourself a great rig, and check them out. A big thanks to System76. So now we're going to start with a clip from Noah back at his place of work, and then we'll come back and chat a little bit about it. Noah or I guess this would be past Noah, take it away. Future Noah, how does that work? I started AltaSpeed in 2009 with the single goal of switching as many people to Linux and open source software that I could. Now, I'd seen how that had worked in my previous employer, and I wanted to see if I could expand on that. Treat every single client that walks through your doors, or that calls you, or that contacts you, or emails you, treat every one of them with the same level of respect and sincerity that you would treat a multi-million dollar organization that wants to contract with you because you never know who these people are uh, connected with. So this lady calls me, and again, she has a Windows laptop, and she wants it cleaned up. And I said, um, no problem. Now at the time, I, my wife had just given birth to our first son. We were both still in college. So I had very little time. Um, I was managing a, a, a full-time semester, and I had a new baby at the house. And so there was, a, there was a, a friend that I was friends with in college, and he would help me out from time to time doing part-time stuff. And so I sent him to take a look at this lady's laptop. She called me the next day and she was upset. She said, you know, this gentleman came over, or he didn't come over rather, couldn't, uh, we couldn't nail down a time or something fell through with the scheduling and she wasn't very happy. And I said, you know what, I'm really sorry about that, but I'm going to drop everything I'm doing right now, <clears throat> blow off class, blow off all the responsibilities I had at home. I'm coming to your house right now. I'll fix this problem for you is my top priority. And she said, no, you don't need to do that. But I will leave it with my husband and he works at a hotel Maybe he could maybe could stop by the hotel and take a look at it. I said, yeah, no problem. So I went to the hotel the next day, a big, huge hotel, and I had no idea really what to expect. I, she didn't tell me what her husband did. So I walked to the front desk and I said, I'm looking for this particular gentleman. She goes, yeah, he's up that hallway to the left. So I go up the hallway, I go and I find his office, and underneath his name it says general manager. 
So then I got a little intimidated. I mean, this is a little strange. Up until now, I'd been working with, uh, you know, inside of homes, residential things, and now all of a sudden, this, you know, this big shot at this huge hotel is having me fix his wife's laptop. So I introduced myself, I sat down, and he sets the computer in front of me, and I fixed it in five, ten minutes, something like that. And he hands it back. I turn it around, and I show it to him, and he goes, wow, that's incredible. We've never had it. We've had, that, like, three different people look at that computer, and he fixed it in, like, ten minutes. Uh, you do commercial work? And this is the second lesson I learned, which is the answer to everything is yes. And if you don't do it, then you go and figure it out. I said, of course we do commercial work. Yes, of course we do. Yeah, we totally do commercial work. And he goes, you have a price sheet, right? Absolutely. I didn't even know what a price sheet was. Absolutely we have a price sheet. That's no problem. I'm going to get that price sheet right over to you. As soon as I get back to my office, which at the time was a hollowed out place in the corner of my basement. So... I rush home, I spend the next six hours researching price sheets, what a fair pricing structure is, how do you present it, how do you format it, all this kind of thing. And I get it and I email it over to him and he emails me back and he goes, I just forwarded it to our corporate office, they're very enthusiastic to work with you, however, you need these certifications. I said, of course, of course I do, I, you know what, I'm gonna get right on that. Contacted a training advisor, said, I don't have any money, I don't have a lot of money, I need to get these certifications. What's the cheapest, quickest, fastest, most effective way I can get this done? So he lay, lays out a plan for me. I said, all right. I go, went to the training center. I got trained, came back, started working at this hotel. And this brings me to the next lesson, which is word of mouth is the best advertising you can get. You can spend all the money you want on radio, TV, newspaper, email, whatever. It doesn't mean anything. What matters is what other people are saying about you. And... This particular general manager was so impressed with the work that we did that he contacted other people in the community and that owned hotels and worked with hotels and said, listen, these are the guys you need for, if you want your network managed properly, quickly, then you got to call these guys. Work order just came through. We have a client that we've been supporting for some time now and uh, they want to upgrade their access point system. Uh, so the first thing that we're going to do is swap out the router for a router uh, for an enterprise grade uh, microtech that we can remote into and, and have some uh, remote administration control and then after that uh, we'll actually install the access points and we use a, a cloud-based access point system of course it runs off of a Linux box and when that access point is plugged in first thing it does is it calls up to our, our Linux server and says how would you like me to be provisioned and then from there I can I can uh, I can tell it how I want it to act and it will choose things like the SSID, the channel. Then it'll collect uh, statistics, user statistics. Um, what, uh, what's the average signal strength that the user is getting? How many users are connected at a particular time? I can set up captive portals, those kinds of things. Um, and with it being a cloud-based system, with it being hosted at our facility, it makes it very easy for me to go make changes. The client calls up and says, we want to add an SSID, or we want to change the password for the captive portal, or we want you to modify these terms and conditions. It's no longer going to require a service call to actually go out to that client um, to make those changes, as it will with a router. It, you know, Once we replace it with that enterprise-grade microtech, what it's going to allow us to do is, when that client calls up and says, hey, you know what, we really want to put some security cameras in our, in our facility, and we want to be able to see those remotely, we need you to come in, pop a hole in the firewall, do some NAT forwarding. I'm not going to have to actually go back out uh, on, on site. I can actually do that back from my office or, or I can have another technician do it um, you know, from their house. They don't actually even have to come into the office to do that. Um, and, and of course that is made possible by the fact that uh, Microtech supports SSH and of course the access point control system. Um, I, can, I can get to that remotely as well. Um, that's running on an Ubuntu uh, 1404 machine, actually, 1404 server. 
So we'll get out there and I will take you guys uh, with me. I did get permission from the general manager to have you guys uh, to bring the camera in with me to film uh, to film what we're doing. So we'll take a look. Before we get out to doing the actual service call, I do want to stop here at the guest kiosk. So this is a very typical example of what we have set up. Um, it's running Ubuntu. Um, then it has common web browsers installed and of course the office suite. Now what's great about the way that we have it set up is the, There's another one over there. Um, what's great about the way that we have it set up is we actually have um, The home directory after we get it all configured the way that we want it we tarball that up and store that on the hard disk so every time the computer boots there is a um, there's a script that kicks off and what it does is it destroys the home directory completely and then replaces it with our sterile copy. Now you couple with that with pulling, uh, taking away root access to the machine and what you're going to find is that uh, the user has very little ability to screw stuff up. Give me one second to kind of get situated, and then uh, then I'll walk you through everything. Okay. <coughs> All right, we've got the router installed. Um, now we're going to have to go through and perform some basic uh, configuration. Obviously, um, the router is usable right out of the box, so if you were just to plug it in, uh, it would work. Um, but there are some things that we're going to want to change. So, for example, right now, it has a maximum of 254 clients, and that is going to get eaten up pretty quick when every man, woman, child, dog, and cat has four laptops, two cell phones, and three tablets. So I got connected to the wireless network, so now let me see if I can log into the initial page. Um, so what's going to happen is, is this logs in, um, the first, the very first time you log into the router, it uh, it's not going to prompt me I guess it is going to prompt me. The newer firmware doesn't even prompt you for a password. Um, so the first thing we're going to go th do is we're going to set up a, a local address. Actually, I'm going to do this. Now, I like to reserve the first like 50 IPs or so for static use um, in case we ever in case we need to do that. <clears throat> it's probably not going to be an issue here, but I'd rather be safe than sorry. <clears throat> also, another thing I always like to do is set up the primary DNS as the router itself. That way. Um, we have the option of making static DNS entries if we want to do that. <clears throat> Next thing I want to do is I want to go through and I want to change the service port for SSH. I want to make I want to make that something other than the default. And then I need to go into the firewall, of course, and add a add a rule that allows it to accept those uh, packets. So we'll do that. And obviously that needs to be higher than the drop. And that's basically it. I, I need to make one static DNS entry, I guess. Alright, so what we're going to do is pull this ceiling tile out. As you can see, the last access point was actually mounted um, to the ceiling. <clears throat> and that's cool for troubleshooting purposes. Yeah. They actually really didn't uh, they actually didn't uh, crimp that very well, whoever installed the cable, but <clears throat> ideally you don't want this sheathing to be out like this. You want that to be inside, inside, of, inside of the cramped. 
You guys mind being on camera? No. No. This is this is Craig. I don't know if I Jesse. Jesse. Mm -hmm. Craig is a head of security, so if you piss him off, he'll throw you out. <laughs> and and Jesse, you are the uh, you're like okay. the you're, oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you were like security in training or something. <laughs> He's always in training. I'm always yeah. <laughs> Broaden your horizons. So they have uh, we actually have Craig's laptop back at the shop. He uh, he doesn't know it yet, but it has Ubuntu on it. That's that, that's that software I was telling you about, Craig. That has no viruses, no. Indeed. No, yeah. So I think that's going to be a lot better for you. Know what? If I was a smarter person, I would set the access point down and, and use two hands. Like this. The problem is. There we go. Okay. So, like I said, we could actually, if we wanted to, mount this to the ceiling, but I don't like doing it. I like putting them up here, and this does a couple of things. It makes it a little hard, harder to troubleshoot because you can't just obviously walk down the hallway, but what you can do is hide it from theft and vandalism. So I prefer to do it that way. So we're going to plug this in. Now, these access points don't use the same power injector, so we have to go swap that before it'll actually power up. Uh -huh. The nice thing is they actually provide us with one in the box. So we'll take that. Alright, I'll just leave that stuff there for a second. Now this is one of those interesting things because you always picture uh, businesses having these super nice IT rooms. This is what you actually get sometimes. What do you think this was? A, a wash tub at, at some point? And then they just, and then, then it became the IT room slash storage room. So what happens is the switch and everything gets thrown on the floor with a six-way adapter. Um, you know, the one, the one problem, let's see, let's see if I can figure out which one of these was part, went to that access point that I just, un, that I just unplugged. So this one is blinking green, so I'm going to get, those two are not. So I'm guessing this is probably the one that I disconnected, I think. Let's do this. This is LAN. <coughs> this up here. So we'll plug the LAN in, then we'll sit, plug. Okay. This actually goes up to PoE. That. How you going? Hey, bud. Higher uh, than what we're going to do. Long day. Long oh, day. Goes. Power cable. Wants the internet. So I plug this in, we should see a light come on. There it is. All right, so now if we go poke our head back up in the ceiling, my laptop with me, hopefully. Let's go up here. Let's see, is it on? It is on, it all is right, on. That that's cool. So now, go and we can configure it from the laptop assuming get the ceiling tile back down so take the laptop I don't know the best way to let's see here let's do this hopefully that works all right so okay we had some we had some issues we got them worked out so um, this is the management screen and so if I click over here you see the first thing that happens is it pops up and says there's an access point that's pending approval all I have to do is click on adopt and now it's going to provision that access point it's going to give it all the configuration parameters so I'm going to go ahead and call it a 
P01, because it's the first access point on the cloud system. And I can actually go down to the, uh, the wireless LAN, and uh, down here in the settings, I can go to wireless networks. Right now there are none, so I'm going to create one. I'm going to call the network uh, free Wi-Fi. I'm going to make it an open network. I am going to apply the guest policy, which will put in the captive portal and such. And I'm just going to click create. And now, uh, eventually, that what will happen is that access point is going to get adopted and get programmed. I'm at Noodles and Company having dinner with my family and uh, get a call that there's a problem over at a hotel. Now, we manage the network at the hotel, so I was a little surprised to hear from them. Um, and the, the front desk gal, she says, well, we're having trouble getting on the internet. And I said, well, is this the guest machine that's that's running Ubuntu 14.04? She goes, no, no, it's my Windows laptop that I brought in. I'm trying to get some work done on it, and I can't seem to get it to connect to the internet. So, uh, so we finished up dinner, and now we're going to head over to the hotel and find out what's going on. Okay, so we're here. We're on site, and I took a look at where her laptop is, so let's go back and look over here. So this is the back office where there's the laptop and she's trying to get connected there but the nearest access point is all the way down here. So this is problematic because the access points when we put them in the building we obviously put them in for the guests not necessarily for the front desk staff to use. Um, so I'm not exactly sure what we're going to do about this. Um, it's all false ceiling, even through, even through the office here. That's all false ceiling. So what we could do is run a, a network cable into the office. Of course, that's a problem because I either have to run an, I either have to run another network cable from where the IT room is, which is all the way at the end of this hallway on the next floor, or my second option is to put a switch inside of the ceiling. And I don't like either of those options. So I'll check back here in a second when I figure out what we're going to do. All right, so what we decided to do is we went ahead and went up into the ceiling, moved this access point down um, just a couple of feet. And then <clears throat> in addition to that, right now the way the access points are set up is they're doing handoffs. So we created another SSID and put a passphrase on it now we're going to go up to the front desk and we're going to have her connect uh, her laptop to that dedicated SSID. And hopefully the access point being a little bit closer and it not trying to decide where the best access point is, that will help. So I'm getting a lesson on how to use Windows 8 because I actually really have no idea how to get on. I couldn't even figure out how to open the internet, right? It's ridiculous. <laughs> okay, so now we're on the internet. So let's see if... One-handed typing is always fun, right? All right. Let's see what happens. The big speed test. Will it make it? There you go. I 
just bought this laptop and I'm already not happy with it. The laptop's probably fine. I think it's just Windows that's probably your issue. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that's exactly what it is because, I mean, it's got an Intel yeah, i7, i7 and a really good graphics card in there. I don't... So what do you do with it? A game. Okay. And I do homework. So. Okay. Sure. You play a lot of Steam games, or? Um, I've got Diablo three, uh, The Sims games. Okay. I'm pretty much all over the board. Sure. Somewhere. All right. Give me a call back if there's anything else, and I'd be happy to uh, to stop back out if you if you run into problems. I think having a dedicated um, connection, I think, will help. So. If you were paying good attention, then uh, you probably caught my the beginning of my spiel to to switch to Linux, but. When she said that, uh, when she said she was a gamer and she played, you know, a number of games, that's probably not going to work out real well. I don't know specifically if those games work on Linux or not, not being a gamer myself. I will look into it when I get home. Um, but uh, I try not to move people. I, I, I'm always interested in moving people to Linux, but you have to do it when you know it's not going to cause problems. If I, if you do it too early, you switch them too early to Linux and they have a bad experience. It's twice as hard to get them back, uh, to get them to try it again. So uh, you want to make sure that the, the first time basically it goes out without a hitch. Now, most of the time with college kids, most of the time with college kids, I get, uh, what do you do? Well, I, I, I edit a lot of documents and I browse the internet and I check my email. Those are your answers. Um, I almost always will try to switch those people to Linux. That's a good one, Noah. That was a great, that was a lot of good stuff. Uh, and uh, I, I totally noticed your spiel. Like it's the same thing I used to do. So what do you use the computer for? Yeah. You play some games? Yeah. <laughs> if, yeah. And 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 here's the thing. If she had said yes, I play games, and I'd said what games, and she She's started like listing Steam games, Counter Strike or whatever, I would yeah, <laughs> I would have totally. If she would have said yeah, I, I, all my stuff is in Steam, I would have said yeah. you know Steam works on this, and I would have went right into that spiel. But it's one of those things where you have to get it right at the right time. So in yeah. her particular case, yeah. let her get, let, let her just stay, she's not happy on Windows. Right. She's not going to get any happier. She'll right. just settle. Mm -hmm. Let her sit there. Let her get miserable for a while. And then right. after that, I'll right. come back in and say, try this and see what happens. You know, um, we used to joke at the uh, IT company that I worked for that uh, if we switched all our clients over to Linux, we'd go out of business. And, and do you find that you are able to scale more because, of, because Linux on the desktop, does that allow you to take on more machines than you think maybe if they were Windows? Honestly, it has been, it is, you know, at first, the first couple of years, as, as I saw this happening, I was happy about it. It has become somewhat of a, I, I've lost a little sleep over it. Yeah, because um, you're losing revenue, because basically. Because I'm losing huge amounts of revenue, huge amounts of revenue. I, we we install those kiosks, and we have it down to basically a fine science at this point. We have a, a you know, a, 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 um, an image that we flash on to, uh, to a specific set of hardware, and we just come in and, 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 like gangbusters, rip the old kiosk out, put the new one in, but we never get called back to them anymore. So much so to the point that I, we started doing this thing where to get people into it, I would say, you buy it off right, we'll support it for five years. Mm. I knew we could do that yeah. because I knew I'd never get a call in five years yeah. to come fix it. And then you leave the little things out like, well, if the network goes down, that's not covered. If you physically trash the machine, that's if somebody pours beer in it. That's a pretty nice back. perk, though, to have your support person say five years of support. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. kind of mind-blowing. You know why we did that? You know why we did that? Why? Because the LTS cycle for Ubuntu is five years. So in five years, that's when I would want to come back in and, and redo it, and I want to get paid and for that. And if you get that cycle done right enough, you're, that could be a year where you're going to make some money. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. The problem is it's not an, it's not enough. I mean, I had, and, and I am not exaggerating, we had a guest kiosk that had, there's a program that runs on Windows called Site Kiosk, and like clockwork, 
I could count on one service call a week to come fix some problem yeah. with site kiosks that yeah. would break. Yeah. And it was over and over. So then they replaced the computer. And I still, every week, I was like, man, this is rolling in money. You get four or five yeah. businesses that are yeah. doing that, you can rake in some serious cash. And then we swapped it for a Linux box, and I haven't heard from them in two years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so, legit. The struggle is real. I have noticed mm-hmm, the same mm-hmm. thing. Uh, and yeah. so, but, you know, you can do it. You can do it by scale. You can do it by improving services. You always have hardware to yeah. age out and things like that. But, yeah. Uh, is there anything else well, you left out of the video you want to touch on, like anything about the Wi-Fi access points or uh, anything yeah, like that? Did, so you mention the, did you mention in the video the software you're using to unify the access points? Did you mention right. that? So the software is the, – the access points are made by a company called Ubiquity. And I have set up Cisco. I have set up Ruckus. I have set up uh, SonicWall. I have done them all, and I am telling you – Ruck, uh, Unify is the way to go. The, Ubiquity has the, it runs on Linux, so you install it. You have to, you have to run a dedicated server. Um, so you're going to run that server, and if you're just doing it in your house, you can run it on on as a service just in the background. Or we have a dedicated box that sits at our shop mm. that it does nothing. Its Very function nice. in life is to manage access points. But the nice thing is, we had a company um, that they wanted. They are, they are a uh, they're a chain barber shop. Um, they have. Uh, couple in Grand Forks, couple in Fargo, and they said, what we want is internet for our guests. How do we do that? Well, mm. it's at that point, it doesn't make any sense to put a dedicated controller in their place. But what we can do is take one access point, I come out, I plug it into their network, it automatically provisions, it separates itself out onto its own little VLAN. Oh, that's nice. So the guests are connecting, they can't talk to any other device on the network right. other than the gateway. And then it calls home to our controller and says, hey, do you want to adopt me? And this, this is happening over layer three. So I don't actually have to be there. I can mail an access point halfway across the world. And when they plug it into their network, I'm going to see it pop up in my management portal. I can adopt it. I can make changes. I can do the upgrades. I can adopt restart it. them if they call and say. So it, it, it is a super, super robust uh, system. And you're talking $60, $70 per access point. Yeah. So, you know, as compared to Ruckus, $9.99 per access point. Cisco, $1,400 per access point. I mean, you blow through twenty grand doing a hotel you know, with Cisco gear. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, that has been, that has been, a, you know, a, a real, real way to do it. And speaking of scaling, you know, we are talking about the ability to now I can mail you if you have a hotel in, in, um, in Arlington and you say, you know, we have, uh, we have this hotel and they need better Wi-Fi equipment. That's fine. I'll go ahead and sell you the equipment. I will pay some contractor that lives in the area to go plug the access points in and we can give them the same class support that we gave our customers here in Grand Forks there because going on site means nothing to me because unless it's physically died, yeah. in which case I'd have to ship you a new one anyway, yeah. all the changes I can make locally, yeah. I can make. And all the local. provisioning is done from the software, so you just put another mm-hmm. unit in there to replace it when it fails and it gets all of the config yep. in. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, and you know. Scale, and, you know, scaling is something else, too. You know, people talk about, you know, a lot of people will compare them and they'll say, well, why don't you use something like DDWRT? If you're setting up four, five, six, maybe even 10 access points, that's great. Come to a hotel with me and set up 300. And you SSH into every one of those and set the SSID and set the channel. Yeah. Oops, you, you doubled up. And so now these yeah. two are class. No, they, it does all that. It listens to all the other access points and says, okay, I, I want 20 dB of separation from mm. my, both of my neighbors. I'm going to turn my power down. You turn your power Cells up adjust. a little further away. Oh, mm-hmm. oh. Yeah. So, and that all happens automatically. One goes down, it automatically gets rebooted. There's a heartbeat. If it misses three heartbeats in a row, I get an email. Hey, access point seven at this hotel is down. Go fix it. Moron. Mm. Why'd you, why'd you break me? Well, if you have any other questions after watching this segment, you can email Noah directly, noah at jupiterbroadcasting.com or linuxactionshow at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Noah, any other notes you want to touch on before we run? No, anything that uh, anything that that uh, you want to bring up from your days as a IT contractor? Oh boy! Well, I kind of touched I kind of touched on the opening. You know, I <clears throat> I definitely witnessed the uh, I lost. I was young too, so that might have helped. Might not have hurt, but uh, I would lose credibility when I'd recommend Linux originally, 
Yeah. And I also yeah. noticed the customers that eventually would let me do it, I would make less money from them. I didn't yeah. care, though. I didn't, it was worth it for me. Yeah. I didn't at first. I'm starting to. <laughs> I'm yeah. Starting to now. yeah. You, know what? you know, I've said from day one, and mean. I'll stand by this. It'd be my dying words. If, I, if we end up closing our doors, we ended up going out of business because we converted everyone to Linux and they don't have any more IT problems, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I I'll guess go, worst I'll, I'll go do happen. something else. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, just, it's a success, right? Everyone, they're that happy with the way things that are going. Um, then, then that's good. True enough. That, True uh, enough. I call that job well done. All right, that's the Linux Action Show's look at building a business with open source. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. But before we get out of here, we do have some emails to follow up on. I'll take the first one. It comes in from Chris J about TeamViewer, a, a topic we covered last week. It says, hi, Chris and Noah. While I agree, TeamViewer's implementation is solid. It does something that made me take pause and eventually abandon it. With TeamViewer 6 and below, it ran fine as a local user and was a daemonless process. It ran when you opened it and closed completely when you were done. With version 7 and above, and they're currently on version 10, uh, the Linux version began requiring a daemon running in the background. The daemon runs as root, and the client application will not function without it. As a proprietary daemon that's running as root suddenly being required makes me wonder why it exists and what else it's doing. So for those that continue to use it, this is just an FYI. Thanks for the shows. Keep up the great work. And this... Not too surprising, really. If you're going to have a background process that's running a lot of times, if you open a port at a certain level, it has to be root, I think. But I, right. I did notice TeamViewer requires a daemon, and when I saw that, I was like, mm, remote service listening is root, not a good thing. But right. for my use case, it's an acceptable risk. So, To some degree, but you have to admit, there is something awfully scary about the fact that not only is it a service that Damon that's listening for outside connection as root, but it's also a proprietary code. So we don't even, there's no way to even know what all it's doing. Yeah. And, and I, I'm not, I'm, I'm sure it's probably fine. I, I'll throw that out there, but it, it is just a little, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I was less than happy to read that. It's good to it's take something note. I hadn't noticed. It's good to take note of. Are right, you want to take uh, Jacob's email? So, <clears throat> Yeah, so the second one comes in, and the uh, and the uh, subject was, why doesn't Linux as a whole have an easy install method? This topic has probably did, been discussed at length a thousand <laughs> times, but I can't seem to find a reasonable answer. I came from a Windows background and have fully have dove fully into Linux with Ubuntu Mate as my distro of choice. One thing that I seem to have issue with is the fact that it is not easy to install software. I would like to see a method in Windows here... I think it means like, oh, like in Windows here, where I can download, say, a .tux, that's clever, file or XYZ and have an installer <laughs> open and say things like install XYZ.tux file. This would be tux. great for those people who, yeah, I think that's great, right? This would be great for those people who would like to convert from Windows or Mac. Now, <clears throat> this actually dovetails onto a couple other pieces of feedback that, uh, that we've gotten, which essentially says, um, they've essentially said sometimes they think that we come off a little too strong uh, on on Linux that maybe you should back off just a little bit. Linux <laughs> isn't all that bad, you know. Well, and here, so here's here's the here's the thing. Uh, and I responded to this, I think, in a YouTube comment or something like that. I said, can you give me an example of where Windows is performing better than than Linux? Because the, I think the original comment was Windows is better than Linux in some circumstances. Can you give me an example of that that isn't dependent on software? And the reason is is because that is not. That is a that is a uh, that is a false uh, that well, is yeah. a false. That's not a limitation reason. of it, Linux. It's a limitation of the developers. Well, it, 
Right, and, and it is a chicken before the egg thing. We don't have software on Linux because the developers say that there aren't enough, there isn't a big enough user base. And we don't have a big enough user base because right. the software doesn't live on Linux. Right. So we have to break that cycle somewhere. And since I have no I have no programming ability, nor do I have gobs of money to pay developers to write the software for Linux anyway, the mm -hmm. only thing I can do is bring those users to Linux first and hope that the developers sure. follow suit. And But this is a perfect example of where I think Linux is fall short of other operating systems. And I know, I know that there's going to be a number of people that are going to say, no, no, listen, that, that's great that we have freedom and that's great. And there'd be no way to do a universal first install. And I, we had this discussion last night in the mumble room and, and Dardevlin and Rotten Corpse and a couple other, I think Rotten Corpse was on my side, but uh, uh, Fressel and, and, and Dardev said, hey, you know what, even if there was a way to do it, we wouldn't want to do that. And huh. so we come to this then, we have to choose one specific distro that we can bring people to Maybe, or we have to accept, or we have to accept that Linux software is going to be uh, distro dependent. So you can't necessarily say it runs on Linux. I, so, uh, you know, this is a topic that we've followed with some consistency on Linux Unplugged. And uh, last week on Linux Unplugged, I talked about the GNOME runtime environment, and the GNOME runtime mm -hmm. environment is based on GNOME 3.16, which just came out, and essentially mm -hmm. is everything you'd need to write a GNOME application, a stable ABI that you can write towards, it's predictable, and you just have to have this runtime that is distributed with your application, or, and then you have a universal Linux application, essentially, a GTK one. Now, uh, the problem really comes to uh, thinking about Linux in the wrong way. Uh, it's coming and looking at Linux as a complete, cohesive product, something like that would be competitive right. with macOS or Windows. Linux mm -hmm. simply is not that. Linux is a kernel, mm -hmm. right? It's a kernel that other people take and build mm -hmm. stuff on top of. It's not one operating system. It's it's not one cohesive platform. That's It's not fragmented because it was never meant to be that way. Now, you have yep. forks of Linux that I called forks, but you call them distributions of Linux that are like Ubuntu and Debian. Those are mm -hmm. ones that people can get behind and you can write software for that. But the traditional method of distributing software for Linux is never going to be really the appropriate. You're not going to download an executable and run it in most cases. We're getting really close. Yep. There's other methods besides just like a GNOME runtimes. Obviously, there's containerization. There's all kinds of solutions that people are working towards. But a universal installer, the reason why we don't have one is because we don't have a universal operating system. And, That's and, right. And, 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 and and the fact of the matter is, we would not be as competitive or dynamic as we are without that state. So it is, it's easy to sit here and say, in hindsight, yeah, mm -hmm. Linux desktop would probably be a lot more successful if we had a universal installer. That also, though, is negating all of the things that we would have lost had we been one cohesive operating system. And we simply will never know what that would have been. But I can probably tell you we wouldn't have had the natural organic growth that Linux has seen. Uh, over the last decade. Uh, you probably would have looked a lot more like Windows 7 and product lines like that. Or, not to put them down, mm -hmm. but the boring FreeBSD project. You kind of see what happens. FreeBSD right. is very respectable. But it also got lapped and then lapped and then lapped by Linux again in the cloud because mm -hmm. it was a more competitive product. It was a more competitive right. product because it is designed this way. Because the people that were super, super serious about making Linux run super awesome good on VPSs just spent a couple of years making that aspect of Linux super awesome good, right? It wasn't, right. It wasn't and, and then because of that, that area of Linux now became better than every other operating system on the planet. Right, and so 
uh, I think what, what you'd have to do, what would be more fair is to, you have to take one specific distribution and call that an operating system. You have the user land utilities bundled hmm. with the kernel. That cohesively makes an operating system. So you could say, I don't like the way that Ubuntu installs software as, a pair, as, as compared to the way that Windows does, but you can't say all Linux distributions together. However, what this guy writes in, he touches on, on something that every new user that comes to Linux uh, says, and going back to, you know, switching people to Linux, that's why I never, ever tell them it's Linux. I tell them if at best they're going to get it's Ubuntu. Usually they're going to get it's special software that does and then insert what it is they told me that they wanted it to do to begin with. Hmm. Um, but at, but if it's not that, I'm going to tell them it's Ubuntu. Hmm. I mean, I'm going to keep repeating Ubuntu and say Ubuntu because I want them, if they're going to Google how to do something, I don't want them Googling how to do it in Linux. I want them to Google how to do it in Ubuntu specifically. Hmm. Um, yeah, so, makes sense. But, yeah, but I think I think that uh, I think that it, uh, I I recognize that as a whole, what this gentleman is experiencing, I recognize that as a whole, it is an issue. Even if the answer is not a universal installer, even if we don't want a universal installer, even if that would never, even if it's not practical to have a universal installer, this is a problem. That a piece of software comes out, and what distro does it run for? And or really, the bigger problem is a developer wants to come onto Linux, but where do they start? Which distro yep, do they go yep, to? Yep, yep, yep. And so that's why we do kind of I have to have. Signal. We do need this sort of figured out and solved and we are working towards mm -hmm. it i'm not saying it's a yes. problem that doesn't but i'm saying it's it's right. it, we just have to also have to change the way you look at linux and change your set of expectations like and like you know i saying it's look more look more at the distro level um <clears throat> i wanted to play this video it's from an audience member they're making an open source um i'm not sure if the top part is open source but they're making an it operations management suite that rides on top of a great open source project called nagios and a lot of you probably know about nagios but it, it kind of you know it's got that uncanny valley problem where it has that gap that it's missing. So uh, uh, Op5 uh, IT had made this video, and Noah, watch this video closely because there is a nice Linux Action Show callout in their product video. You ready? You watch him? Mm-hmm. Now keep it. Here he comes. There it is. Look at that. Look at that awesome hoodie. Do you work at IT operations? Can you remember the last time you had a whole day where you actually accomplished everything you planned for in the morning? <laughs> With no disturbances. No unforeseen events. Sometimes we wonder. There goes the hoodie. Do people really <laughs> understand the sometime hard life so of the IT guy? Yeah. In every day I mean, where is, but... time is never enough. Meet Tom. He works at IT operations. And he is a hero. It's just that not too many of his co-workers know this. And Tom not... also has an awesome hoodie. I would say, too. <laughs> Tom does have a hoodie. So we're not going to watch the video. We're just going to stop with the fact that we saw the hoodie. Oh, yeah, we'll watch the video. All right. <laughs> Even his boss. Tom knows that his work affects his co-workers and, in most cases, the whole business operations. Tom is always on time and starts each day off by checking his to-do list. What could possibly go wrong? Awesome. Disturbances. Unforeseen events. Time thieves. Time thieves. <laughs> that steal Tom's time an and takes him that. from his original plan. <laughs> time thieves cause a constant shuffle and reprioritization of new upcoming events and activities. A frustrating situation for yeah, our Tom. Yeah, it is. Because everyone in the organization considers their need for IT support to be a top priority. I totally understand. And we all his, know uh, when the end users. He's sitting there at his computer, clearly doing something, and people are yeah. poking their heads yeah. in their room. And then they always ask, they always ask, 
in the middle of something? Do I look like I'm in the middle right, of something? Yeah. Does Printer's down, like demo site's down. All right, I'll link to the whole yeah. video because it's a great video. I feel like I'm watching this. I'm like, wow, this is giving me flashbacks. This is, uh, I don't know. Yeah. This is a little yeah. weird. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Neat to see the, the last hoodie get some love in the in the promo video there. And we'll have the full weird video in a bad way. the show notes. Uh, Q5 points out that his job title is Ninja. It's true. That's true. Yeah. That's, that's true. Hey, yeah. if you wanted to get a little no in your life, maybe you're in the Grand Forks area or wanted to, uh, you know, reach out to some of that uh, unbridled open source love and support, go check out altaspeed.com. That's where I would go. Even if the logo doesn't look like a penis just a little bit. Just a little yeah. bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, got a, I got a note the other day. like Somebody's like, Chris, I have something really embarrassing to tell you. And I'm like, what? He's like, I, I don't want to tell Noah. I'm like, what is it? He's like, I think I've noticed something about his logo. I'm just saying, Noah. I'm just saying. Did you uh, did you see in the Reddit somebody posted that and then they had this huge long discussion over it, it was the most upvoted comment in the entire in the in that entire thread was the fact that the the logo looks like a penis and then and then they asked me they're like so you got to do something about that and I'm like why would I do anything about that you guys right. are talking about it that's right. the entire purpose of a logo yeah you wish that people talked about your logo like yeah. that yeah I even mean, if it does look like a penis I mean you could it's you could people companies spend big money for that kind of uh, brand. Uh, 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 you know, uh, agitation, whatever you call it. Excitement. Yeah, that's right. Discussion. Plus, I got I a great know. idea for a sister company. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, don't forget the Linux Action Show subreddit, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. Make this show better. Send your app picks, your runs, Linux suggestions. Comment on stories. Vote them up or down. All that stuff helps. And you can join us live. We're usually live on Sundays over jblive.tv on a 10 a.m. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your local time zone. Woo-wee! And last but not least, hit that contact page and send us in your feedback. We'll be done a future edition of Linux Action Show. Noah, is there anything else we need to cover today? No, I think we covered it all and then some. Yeah, we sure did. All right, everybody. Well, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. We'll see you right back here next week. I believe you are talking about the guy who was looking for like a voiceover assistant for Linux. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about it? So we've been working for the past week trying to find different tools for him, and last night... He sent me a message and he said, Will you be really happy with me? I dumped Mac OS off of my laptop, but now I can't get it to boot. <laughs> so can you help me? And so we were up till like four in the morning trying to get his Mac to boot. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> but we got mate installed. Mate. Is this like mate. over the mumble room? Meet yeah, uh-huh. Jeez. Um Yeah. Wow, man. Uh, it's not booting up actually at the moment. He um he actually had to borrow a laptop to work today. Oh boy! What what model of MacBook is it? Is it old or new? Uh, Eight comma one. Oh, that's old, right? Yeah, we did. It's 2011. We uh, believe me when I tell you there was no shortage of people researching. I think mine might be an eight comma one. Yeah, might be. Mine's like a late 2011. Don't install Ubuntu Mate uh, 14.04 on it. Oh really? Yeah. Well, you can, but it won't boot. <laughs> I almost did. Uh, we we ended up building. He he texted the first message I got. This is how I know I was going to have a bad night because around nine o'clock he he sends me a message and it says, "Can you help me install Grub from scratch?" And I'm like, "Oh God, oh jeez, <laughs> can we please just reinstall? Like, can we just use the installer and let it build Grub?" And then, long story short, like, it, so he fixes computers. That's what he does, right? And it's funny because every time. He comes into the mumble room to ask for help. He does the normal things. Like, he has powered it off and powered it back on. He's checked that the green light is on and that his keyboard is properly plugged in. But people treat him like an idiot. And they're like, well, Everybody has to go through all that. Yeah. You got to go through yeah, the typical right, script. Right. <laughs> Gosh. Well, so the other night, he goes, he kind of, he kind of, he kind of, he, he, he's like, all right, can we stop for a minute? Can we stop for a minute? 
you asked me, you told me that we, at that point he was having problems with his TV overscanning, but he goes, you told me that there would be an option in the TV, which I told you there wasn't. Now we've confirmed that there isn't. You told me that there would be an option in the control panel, which I told you I'd already checked, and you said there, and I told you there wasn't, and you said there was, and we confirmed it wasn't. Now you've told me to install this particular driver, which I've already told you I've installed, which you told me I couldn't uh, have installed, and uh -huh. now I prove that I have. So can we please, at this point, trust my ability to troubleshoot so far, and can we take it from where I am forward so I stop... Because he spent like an hour redoing all the stuff that he had previously done. So last night, I came into... So having this in mind, I sat down in the mumble room, and he's like, I need to build Grub from scratch. And I'm like, there's probably an easier way to... Okay, you're right. Let's build Let's build Grub from scratch. That sounds like a good idea. We'll do that. We'll just do it. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just, I just trusted that whatever it was... I still am not sure I entirely buy his issue, because... <laughs> the issue apparently is that you can't use an EFI boot on Mac. You have to use the BIOS boot. But I don't know if I agree with that. But that's what I'm told. So that's what we did. And to his credit, it did boot. But then it got to the uh, sign-in screen, then it froze up. And then he went to try and redo the media, and he couldn't reburn it. And... It was like...